You're listening to Uprooted, the podcast from the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. I'm Josh Warnes. For the last two years, IATP has been co-chairing the campaign in Minnesota to pass a statewide farm-to-school policy. As part of that, we've been engaging with elected officials across the state. This Wednesday, we're going to be co-hosting a gubernatorial candidate forum at the farm of the Among American Farmers Association. And here to talk with me about that and the Farm to School campaign is uh, Paku Hang, the executive director of HAFA, and Aaron McKee, our, our community food systems program director. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Josh. Hi, Josh. Josh, thanks for the invitation. Um, Paku, tell us about what's happening on Wednesday and how did you end up reaching out to the campaigns to host this event? Sure. So this is a really troubling time for um, farmers. Both commodity farmers have been greatly affected by some of the tariffs um, and some of the new um, agricultural stipulations. And it's also been a turbulent time for small farmers and in particular for immigrant farmers. And since agriculture really um, is so much affected by both federal policies and state policies, back in the middle of the summer, we reached out to both the um, Republican and the Democratic gubernatorial candidates. And we um, invited them to come to the farm. And lucky enough, uh, just last week, we were informed by the Walls campaign that they would be able to make it out to the Hoffa farm. And we were also informed by the um, Johnson, because of scheduling conflicts, they would not be able to come. And so um, while we won't have both candidates, at the farm this coming Wednesday, we will have at least one of them. And we're going to take advantage of that opportunity to really talk about the issues that matter to small and immigrant farmers. That's great. I want to ask a follow-up. You know, when we think about um, immigrants in the agriculture sector, um, you know, the common perception is that um, we're we're thinking about farm workers. Um, But it's, it's pretty clear that immigrant farmers are becoming an increasing share of the farming population. Can you talk um, a bit about what some of the top level concerns are for immigrant farmers? Sure, Josh. Well, first off, um, it is true that a large bulk of our farm labor workforce is made up of immigrants. So while that's very true, what's also very true is that more and more um, people who are entering agriculture as uh, farmer owners or operators are actually immigrants, um, whether they're Latino immigrants or immigrants from Southeast Asia. And in Minnesota in particular, that growing uh, constituency is made up of Hmong farmers. And um, in the metropolitan area, the majority of the farmers at the local farmers markets are Hmong farmers. And many of them are actually uh, members of our organization, the Hmong American Farmers Association. And while they are superb farmers and they work extremely hard, over and over our farmers continue to face many challenges, including lack of access to land and not just affordable land prices or, or land that's close to the Twin Cities and close to their market, but um, land tenure. So a Hmong farmer may have access to a certain type of land that's close to their market, but they don't know if next year they'll have access to that same plot of land. And without that tenure or without that kind of guarantee, they're not able to invest in perennials or other crops that actually might have a higher profit margin. So one of the challenges that Hmong farmers are facing um, is access to land tenure. 
they're also facing numerous access. Um, they're also facing numerous barriers to markets. Um, so they sell at the farmer's market, but it's very hard for them to get into the market to local schools or the market to the co-ops or the market to the hospitals because they might not have the type of infrastructure that's needed at the farm. They might not have a refrigerator truck to transport the produce, which is often now required by food safety rules, or don't have the uh, language skills to go into those spaces and negotiate a contract. So in addition to access to land and land tenure and access to markets, our farmers are also facing a lot of challenges when it comes to accessing credit, accessing trainings, and accessing um, research and other types of resources. And oftentimes, this is because of the language barriers. Um, there may be an amazing training that's being offered, but let's say, by the University of Minnesota, but because the training is all in English and the majority of our farmers do not speak or read English, then this is a problem. And so these five challenges, lack of access to land, to markets, to capital and credit, to trainings and to researches or resources or research are all barriers that make it very hard for our farmers to make a, a subsistence living as farmers. IATP and Hoffa uh, were connected through our work on uh, providing farmers um, access to institutional markets through the Farm to Early Care program that we're running. Um, and Erin, I, I want to um, jump in and switch over to you to talk a bit about how that connection with Hoffa got started and why the connection has been important for IATP over the last few years. Yeah, well, Hoffa is one of our deepest partnerships. Um, we, we worked together to actually launch the first Farm to Head Start program in Minnesota um, when we partnered with Hoffa and the Community Action Partnership of Ramsey and Washington County Head Start program um, in St. Paul. And so we collaborated together to kind of come up with the model for Farm to Head Start that we have been expanding on since then. And that was in 2014 and 15, I think, right, Paku, that we worked together. Um, and I think, yeah, we, we developed the model together and it was really vital to have actual farmer perspective with us when we were figuring out, you know, how is this going to work? Because there are a lot of farm to school and farm to early care programs um, that really focus on the tremendous benefits to children's health um, and kind of influencing their taste preferences when they're being developed and kind of setting up healthy eating patterns for the rest of their lives. And those benefits are very important to us at IATP. But of course, you know, we come from the, the organizational perspective of looking at what's going to benefit farmers. And these programs are really only something that we want to promote if it is actually creating a new market for farmers and diversifying their, their business model and helping them sell products to new new partners. Um, and one thing that, you know, has been really great for farmers who are selling to institutions is that they can sell a larger amount all at once versus selling, you know, smaller amounts to many different customers at a farmer's market, for example. Um, and hopefully, you know, that's the ideal kind of setup that we'd like to create with Farm to Institution, but we want to make sure that farmers are getting a fair price for their product when they are selling to these schools and early cares. And so that was really um, essential to our model when we were 
building it together with them. But ever since building that relationship through the actual work on the ground of implementing that program for two years, we really have continued to work together even when we weren't in that contract anymore um, through partnering around different issues related to food and farming in the state. And I think that's been something that has been just vital. I mean, you can't promote policy without having the farmer perspective in the conversation and knowing, you know, what is important to them. Um, all the issues that Paku has raised, we need to keep those in mind when we're promoting policy and make sure to include the diversity of perspectives that are making sure that we're creating a just food system since all of these issues are interrelated. Uh, one of the, those issues, of course, that I'm sure Congressman Walsh will get asked on Wednesday about is the uh, statewide farm to school policy. Uh, we've talked on the podcast before about the details of the policy, a reimbursement for, for local purchasing, uh, providing access to training, uh, protecting the, the, what are called the ag grants. But could you take us through kind of the, the state of where uh, that campaign has, uh, what it's done over the summer? So many of our listeners will know that in Minnesota, we only have a budget year every other year. Those are when the decisions are made around things like new spending and new positions that will take money to fund. And our asks for farm to school and early care do require new money for that additional reimbursement and to create positions in extension to support farmers. Um, and so we were advocating to get our bill passed. We had it introduced in 2017, and it did pass through three different committees, but ultimately was not included in the final omnibus bill in 2017. So we got very far, especially for a first-time campaign. Um, all the feedback that I've gotten is that that was surprisingly good for, you know, launching a new initiative and um, really trying to get a new bill passed. That was a really good response. We had bipartisan support. People were enthusiastic, but we just didn't get it across the finish line into the omnibus bill at the, at the last stage. And so all of our focus since then, since 2017, has been building momentum to try to work towards the next budget year opportunity, which is happening in 2019. So we have been continuing to engage. Um, I think one of the most important aspects of our strategy has been really working with partners like HAFA, um, as, as well as other farm and food partners across the state in really close collaboration to do different um, outreach and try to get a lot of support on the ground um, so that we'll have a lot of engagement ready to go. People are ready to hit the ground running as soon as the legislative session starts in 2019. So we've been doing a lot this year, even though it wasn't a budget year and we couldn't pass our bill this year, we did still do a lot to maintain the momentum. Um, we engaged with our partners in the caucus process to collaborate with other groups on creating a food systems resolution that we then promoted around the state to be introduced in all the different caucuses to try to get it into the actual um, party platforms of the major parties. Um, and then we also have done a couple different rallies. We did a Roots for Our Wellness Grow reception at the Capitol in the spring. We did a sign-on letter with many different groups um, signing on to protect uh, the funding for the different food and farming um, 
food and farming programs in the spring as well as a walking celebration of good food to deliver that sign-on letter to the governor. And then we held a governor candidate forum um, on July 30th. So we invited all the different candidates for governor. Not all of them could make it, but we had a huge response from the community. We actually had um, 200 and I think it was 30 attendees, both in person. And then we also had a possibility of participating online through a video platform. And um, we had a lot of attendees online as well from around the state because we wanted to make sure that people from around the state could access the opportunity to talk with candidates. And it was set up more as a conversation so that they could share their perspective. And it was sort of a community listening session for candidates to hear what was important to the, the people around food and farming. And um, the event that Hoffa is having on Wednesday, I think will really build on that engagement of the community. We're inviting the people who participated in the governor candidate forum in July to attend this as well. And, you know, leading up to the elections on November 6th, I think we, it's really important that candidates hear from the people what's important to us and that they know that they are going to be held accountable on these food and farming issues, which aren't always made campaign issues. They need to know that there is a whole group of us in the community that are watching what they do. And we have a lot of issues that are vital to our communities that we care about. And we want them to know about those issues and incorporate them into their own political platforms. And Josh, can I add something? Yeah, absolutely. And can I add something to what Erin just said? Um, and Erin said something really important about how we want our elected officials to see the group of us, the many of us that care about this issue. And I just want to acknowledge that this um, upcoming event is being hosted by a lot, of, lot of other allies in the food justice world, in the small farming world, in the beginning farmers world, and. Um, it shows that actually, even if you're talking about, let's just say, farming or just farm to school, that these issues are actually not siloed, that they're really at the nexus of, of people who care about healthcare, people who care about economic justice, people who care about food justice, people who care about poverty, and that when you add them all together, we are a formidable group, we are a critical mass, and you really can't um, talk about one of these issues without talking about the other. And that it's actually only through this systematic approach, this holistic approach, that we'll really be able to lift up and solve um, some of these really pressing issues. I think that's something really important that's been happening in throughout the state and our communities is we've been seeing we can't just advocate for each of our issues alone because they do all affect each other and we don't want them um, we want them to know that we can't be pitted against each other. We're not competing against each other. We need to be, you know, rise up together to promote a holistic um, systems wide approach of bettering our food system and making it more equitable and just. Uh, cool. I wanted to actually ask you um, how the farm to school bill uh, would uh, impact HAPA farmers if you have a sense of. Yes. So I think. The farm to school bill would um, be very beneficial to Hmong farmers and in particular to Hafa farmers because for the longest time we've been relying only at um, because for the longest time we've been relying um, only on sales from the farmers markets to make a living. 
in the past couple of years, the farmers markets have become quite saturated and people have been losing anywhere from 20 to sometimes even 30% of their sales um, from the previous years. And so a new market, and especially a market that, um, that is um, asking for volume would be really beneficial. And so what do I mean by that, right? If, we, if our farmers could get a contract with, let's say, a school district or just a particular school where they're not just taking maybe 50 pounds or 100 pounds of potatoes, but they're taking maybe, you know, 5,000 to 10,000 pounds of potatoes or of corn um, to feed the students in that school or in that school district, that's really advantageous for our farmers. So overall, I think this would be very beneficial. And then not only that, um, but our farmers, their children, their grandchildren are the same children that are going to these schools and that would be, you know, eating this healthy, nutritious produce. So it would be a win-win overall. We've been making the case that uh, there's a really strong community benefit to farm to school. And I think it gets at the point you had made about having such a diverse coalition um, because um, we realized that transforming the food system does have uh, economic consequences and public health consequences that extend um, far beyond food and farmers. And so this question is for either of you, but um, how, um, how are we working kind of as a whole to make this argument about the benefit that um, local food has to the community? Well, I have seen that Anyone who I talk to about this issue immediately understands that it's beneficial. We like to say that it's a win-win-win. So we say it's good for kids, it's good for farmers, it's good for communities. And it's really easy, no matter who you are, to find something that you really resonate with when you're talking about this issue. And it might be those you know, public health benefits with your, if you're trying to combat obesity and diet-related disease and you understand that when you engage kids in these um, programs and they learn about food and where it comes from, they feel connected to where it's coming from. They're more likely to try new foods and they eat more servings of fruits and vegetables per day. They're setting up good habits, um, good eating habits early in their life that they're going to carry forward to the rest of their lives. And there are studies that show that these benefits exist for kids and public health. That's usually the first thing that people think about. Um, but we also really want to put that spotlight on the benefits to farmers. And as Paku was saying, you know, this is an opportunity for them to sell at scale. That's one of the things that we think farm to institution really brings to the table. If you're selling to a school, you can sell a lot of product at the same time. You know, they have to serve many meals a day. And if they were using local product in all of those meals, that's a huge potential market for our local farmers. Um, when we talk about community benefits, there are obvious economic impact benefits. So we know that for every dollar that's spent on farm to school food, it actually generates an additional $2.16 of local economic activity, up to $2.16 of local economic activity. Um, and that's a multiplier effect that ripples through the community. So it's not just that money that you're spending on the local product one time, but then that local person has the money and they can spend it locally and it creates jobs, it creates more opportunities within you know, rural communities. Um, and it is just good in general for creating economic activity in the local community. 
but I think something that's really important to me is that sense of connection that these programs bring. So when I'm eating something from Hoffa, um, you know, for example, I have a two-year-old toddler now, and her very first solid food was sweet potatoes from Hoffa's farm. And that meant something to me. That was really important to me when I served that to her it had a lot of meaning to me to know that these were my friends that grew this product and it came from the land that is part of you know my state and my community and there's a connection that's being built there in a relationship through these it's not just monetary when you are buying from your neighbors it's very different from buying from kind of an anonymous farm that's off in some other state mm, i love that i love that story um erin and I love baby Nora, although I know she's not me anymore. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I, I wanted to add that I think you are absolutely right because, you know, these are turbulent times and these are times that I think um, can make people feel very um, isolating and people want to do something. They want to make a difference, but sometimes um, it can feel like D.C. is so far away. But what they could do locally is they could um, go out to their local schools and, you know, help serve food and know that that food is healthy and it's being grown from a place not so far away from the school and know that the children in that school, their grandparents are the same people who pick those produce, right? Or they can go to their local co-op and use their dollars to, to make a statement um, about what they believe, um, about who they believe makes up their community. And so I actually think that farm to school and, and what we're talking about, just local food in general, is a great way for people to um, to respond or combat. You know, that, that sense of connection is really important. And it highlights one of the things that we've been doing uh, during Farm to School Month. Um, the coalition has been hosting uh, these legislator to lunch events. And um, I was wondering if you could talk about what happens there, because I think they're really neat. Yes, it's really been powerful. Um, we have actually had at least 10 at my last count, legislator to lunch events happening all around the state. And basically what that entails is the school food service director usually, or early care food service director, um, is usually the point person and they invite the local legislators, their, you know, representative and senator to come and have a meal with the kids over lunch and to come see them serving the local product and maybe even visit a classroom and see the kids doing activities where they're learning about food and farming. Um, a lot of them have made it a bigger event where they've also invited families to attend. So some of them did it in conjunction with the Great Apple Crunch where they got local apples and then they had a countdown where they all crunch into the local apples at the same time and try to make a big crunch. Um, and they, the legislators have been able to come in and see the impact in real life of what these programs mean to kids and families and communities. Some of them have also invited farmers to come and talk about um, the impact that it's had on their businesses and livelihoods. And it's been really powerful. We've gotten really great reception. And I think it's different for legislators to actually um, be able to taste that local food and see the look on the kids' faces versus, you know, of course, when we meet with them, 
in the spring at the Capitol, we'll tell them about the benefits, but there's nothing like actually seeing it. And it's been very popular. We've had a lot of different districts do it. Um, our partners at the, the uh, Tri-Valley Head Start program up in Crookston, so very far northwest Minnesota, they held one on October 11th and they invited our chief author from our bill in 2017, um, Representative Deb Keel, was able to actually come out and visit and it, she had a great time. We have really cute pictures of her there and I think it's going to be really wonderful for really um, building champions in, in the legislative session for 2019. I hope so. Um, so we will put the, I'm, I'm sure we'll have all the event information for Wednesday on uh, our website and we'll send it out via email for those of you listening. But would one of you give us the details of the event, how to RSVP and any other logistics that people should be aware of? Sure, so the event is um, this Wednesday, October 24th from four o'clock to five o'clock. It's being hosted by um, the Hmong American Farmers Association, Hunger Solutions Minnesota, Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy, Minnesota's Farmers Union, and Central Minnesota Young Farmers Coalition. The event is gonna take place at the Hoffa Farm, which is located at 20385 Coates Boulevard in Vermilion Township, Minnesota, with the um, zip code of uh, 550 uh, the Hava Farm is, is located approximately 25 minutes outside of St. Paul. And um, to get to the farm, you can just take Highway 52 South. And when you pass the intersection of Highway 52 South and 200th Street in Vermilion Township, you'll um, see the Hava Farm on the southwest side or on your right-hand side. And feel free to just go about 100 um, more feet, and then you can turn right into the um, farm. Haku, Aaron, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you, Josh. I hope to see your listeners on Wednesday. Thank you, Josh. You've been listening to Uprooted, the podcast from the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. For more on what you've heard today, including for event details of the gubernatorial candidate forum at the Among American Farmers Association Farm with Congressman Tim Walls, you can visit our website at www.iatp.org. I want to remind you that this podcast is available for download on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. If you've liked what you've heard, please give us a rating. Thanks for listening.